Well, today I have good news and bad news for you. The good news is if you've been here for the past several weeks, then you know that God and Pastor Darren have been pretty much wearing us out. Amen. And the good news is that I'm kind of known as the nice guy around here. And I'm preaching today, and, and so it's going to be an uplifting message. Now, the bad news is this. I brought with me 10 pages of notes and no watch. And Pastor Angie asked me to go to at least 1130. So it's going to be long. Is there anything better than puppy love? You know, there's a rule that I've told our students in our youth group, and that is that every February, youth pastors have to talk about love. In fact, one of our sponsors has a younger sister in the youth group, and I was talking to her sister yesterday and, and said, hey, did you talk to, to Megan about the sermon? You know, what did she say? And she said, she's tired of hearing about love. <laughs> and I said, I bet she is. But I tell them every February how, how pointless and fruitless it is to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend at a young age. But in spite of that, I think that we all look back with tenderness in our hearts and, and have a special place for that first love. Even though we know now that it wasn't really love, it's, it's still nice to be able to look back and think about the, the butterflies and the the giggles, the playing tag, right? And the love letters. See, there's nothing quite like a love letter, is there? In a love letter, you see young boys and young girls whose vocabulary normally consists of sentences of three words or less all of a sudden turn into Writers, the likes of Robert Frost or uh, William Shakespeare. When you would write a note, you would sit down and, and think about what you wanted to say and go over in your mind the different words that might be able to communicate the thoughts and the feelings that you had. It was a lot different than it is today. Yeah, I remember when we were kids... You didn't see nine-year-olds running around with iPhones. There was no such thing as texting. If you wanted to communicate with somebody, you, you spoke to them face-to-face -face in person. It's funny. The kids don't do that these days. They could be sitting right next to each other, and they'll text one another. But we spoke back then. And if for some reason you couldn't speak to that person because they, they weren't there with you, or maybe you were in a, in a library or a classroom where speaking was frowned upon, or maybe you needed to ask something really scary or embarrassing like, will you go out with me? Well, you did the dignified thing. You wrote a letter. You wrote a note. And like I said, when you would sit down to write that note, you would actually think about what you were going to say and how it would sound. Whereas today, many of these students and some adults who have forgotten the art of writing will 
send off a text message and get a reply back before they've ever really thought about what they wanted to say. No, writing a love note was, was a lot like writing a term paper. You start out with, with kind of a rough draft. At least I would. I'm a dork. You guys all know that. I'm that guy Pastor was talking about today. I'm that guy that if I'm not giving the exact percentage I'm supposed to be, it bothers me because that's how my mind works. But you would, you would write this note out and then you would go over in your mind how it was going to sound. And, and maybe if there were only a couple of things that needed change, you might scribble something out and write above it or you might write something in the margin. But if it was three or four mistakes or, or changes, man, you'd rewrite the whole thing if you had time. Am I the only one? Did anybody here write notes when you were younger? Raise your hand. I want to know if I'm just preaching to myself up here. You see, we all knew back then that one bad note could ruin a relationship or even worse, a reputation. Can't have that. Well, today I didn't come here to talk about love notes in general. I came here to to talk about one specific love note. I came here to talk about a a love letter that, that one could say is the first love letter ever written. You could definitely say it's the most important one that was ever penned. Today I want to talk about God's love letter. I want to talk about the Bible. You see, we've all heard sermons before where the Bible was was compared to something and referred to as a certain type of document, right? I've heard it called a guidebook and a rule book. I've, I've heard it referred to as a blueprint or a roadmap for life. I even heard one pastor that said, men, if you want to learn how to understand women, read the owner's manual from the manufacturer. And that's cute, right? And, and, and those descriptions are all well and good. I've used some of them myself before. But I realized in studying for today that, that there is one fundamental flaw that every one of those references to the Bible has. They all refer to the Bible as a book to be used purely for instruction. And the Bible is good for instruction. We know that. Timothy tells us that. But the thing that the Bible inherently has that you don't find in a blueprint or an owner's manual is emotion. Or specifically, love. You know, I've never been reading instructions on how to build something and and it said, you know, take part A and and glue it to part C, and then just sit back and think about how much you love it. Those books are so sterile, and, and that's not what the Bible is. You see, the, the Bible is filled with emotion. It's filled with God's love for us. Today, I want to try to, to reshape our thinking and, and convince us that the Bible is God's love letter to us. Now, what I didn't want to do was come in here today and and talk about what a love letter should be like without having an example. So today, as we look at this, and and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to try to point out the four things that all good love letters have in common, including the Bible. But in preparing, I 
I wanted to make sure that I was thorough, so I went up into our attic to see if perhaps I could find a love letter from years gone by. By the way, it was cold in my attic this week. Thankfully, the previous owners of our home apparently left one behind. I've copied it into my notes to make it easier to read, and I'm going to read it to you now. It says, Christina. Apparently, the previous owners of our home had somebody named Christina. Hey, beautiful, how are you? By the way, this note I forgot to tell you is dated from the summer of 1991. Hey, beautiful, how are you? I'm okay, I guess. School was so boring today. I wish we went to school together. That would be great. I miss you so much when we're not together. I can't wait until we're older. Then I can drive to see you every day. I started studying for my driving test already. I want to take it on my birthday if my mom will let me. But enough about me. How's your week going? I can't wait to see you this weekend. I hope we get to go skating. My mom said maybe. If we do get to go, do you want to couple skate? I know it sounds silly, but I just love holding your hand. It makes me feel so connected to you like we'll never be apart. This guy has it bad. He says, I had so much fun on Saturday. We'll definitely need to go hiking more often. And watching the movie at your house was the perfect ending to a perfect day. The only bad part was that my sister was there. (laughs) She is so annoying. You're so lucky that your brothers and sisters are older and don't live with you. Hey, I was thinking about what you said. If you really want to have three kids, I'm fine with that. I just like two because being the middle child, we're going to say stinks. I think it would be perfect to have one boy and one girl. He could be older and could protect her and stuff. What do you think are good boy and girl names? I like Michael and Rachel. But I'm okay with anything as long as you like it. I love you so much. I hope you're listening to the radio right now. I requested a song for you. They should be playing it soon. It is Everything I Do, I Do For You by Brian Adams. He says, I like that song because I always think of you when it comes on. Well, I better let you go. I'm super tired. I hope you have a great night. See you soon. Love, Brian. Then he says, P.S., I love you more than you will ever know. See? Shakespeare. (laughs) The first thing that every good love note has in common is that it is prepared and delivered with great care. The note that I just read to you when I found it was, was folded into some 
super top secret self-containing envelope with a little tab that you would pull to open it. Who knows how long that took to fold. When I saw that, and, and there were so many other things too that, that you couldn't pick up on by me just reading it. The, you know, the name Christina, the eyes were dotted with little hearts. And, and there were several things that were underlined two or three times and some things that were written in all caps. See, Brian took great care in, in communicating his message. Got me to thinking about what people do when they, when they write love notes or when they used to. To make them special. You know, they'd fold them some special way or they would. Uh, I've seen where girls would put on lipstick and then kiss the, the note. Put those pretty lips on there. Or, you know. Kids would sometimes spray a note with cologne or perfume to, to make it smell like they wish they smelled. And it, and it made me think about the care that I used to put in to writing notes to Christina when we were dating. And, and you know, you would, I would sit down and, and, and write a note and, and make sure that it sounded just right. And like I said, I'd rewrite it if I had to. And, and you have to understand that with Christina and I, it was... It was kind of an odd situation. We didn't go to school together, and we basically only saw each other at church or at, like, social functions, you know, bowling and skating and stuff like that. So whenever we saw each other, several days had passed. And we would, would usually write a note a day, sometimes two. And when you met up, you would, you know, I would give her three or four notes, and she'd give me three or four notes. And, and I even made this little system where on the outside of it, I would number them one, two, three, so she knew what order to read them in. We're talking about the care that goes into delivering a love letter. One problem that, that came to the surface back then was because we were delivering three or four notes at a time and, and because there was, you know, a week turnaround time minimum, sometimes Christina would answer a question in a note and I wouldn't know what the question was. She'd say, yeah, that sounds awesome. And I'm like, what sounds awesome? So, as I said, I'm a dork, and I came up with a system to fix this. I came up with the world's first and most complex note archival system, wherein for every note I wrote to her, I wrote a copy for myself. And I kept them in order, and then when I got her notes, I would plug them in where they needed to be sequentially in the system. And at any time, I could go back and look at the entire conversation, it was brilliant. Remember, we're talking about the level of care that goes into a good love note. Now think about the Bible for a minute. Think about the care that God took in getting that love note from him to you. We're talking about 66 books 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses. We're talking about over 788,000 words that were written down by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that you and I could read them. 2 Peter 1.21 says that no prophecy ever originated from humans. Instead, it was given by the Holy Spirit as humans spoke under God's direction. 
Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. Church, that's so awesome. Like, like I thought about that this week. God breathed means he spoke it. Everyone go. He spoke it. His breath carried those words. And we know that men wrote them down under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But before they did, somewhere in the eons of space, God physically spoke them. And then those words were carried across time and space and across dimensions by the Holy Spirit to a man who was willing and listening to God and would write them down so that we could read them. What great care he took. And did you know that for the first several centuries, the Holy Scriptures were copied by hand? The men who would do this were called scribes and they they dedicated their life to the task. They were so strict about making sure everything was perfect as it should be that they, when they would get done with a page, they would count the number of letters. And if there was even one letter too many or too few, they would destroy the page and start over. It's said that when a scribe was writing along and, and came to a point where they were going to write one of the many names of God, they would take their pen and they would clean it, dip it in ink, write the word God, and then clean it again. Some scribes would have a separate pen that was set apart for that purpose. What great care he took in getting us his word. And then it didn't stop there. Because you see, God knew that that most of us weren't going to speak Aramaic or Hebrew and that most of us weren't going to speak Greek. So he had the, the Bible translated into English. And then he knew that even over time, the English language would change and and that we wouldn't speak by saying thus and thou and therefore very much anymore. So over the years, he, he instructed countless men to go back and translate the Bible over and over and over into what is now hundreds of versions of the Bible that are all completely infallible. He knew how lazy we were. That we would never carry around a book, even if it had his words in it. But that we would never leave the house without a phone or a tablet. So he had men put his letter into a digital form so we could carry it with us. I actually don't know that that's true. I wonder sometimes whether that was more God's doing or the devil's. But what I do know is that God took great care in delivering his word to us. His love letter. Every good love letter also reflects on the shared past of the sender and the receiver. You see, this guy named Brian was talking about how much fun they had on Saturday. He talked about what made it fun and then some things that made it not so fun. It's important for us to know where we've come from. You may recall that back in November, I was preaching on what we should be thankful for. And and I mentioned that we should be thankful for our past. But church, it's not just our past in a vacuum that we should be thankful for and that we should we should study and read about and learn about. You see, God's love letter talks about 
the past of our relationship with him. And, and the cool thing about it is the past of your relationship with God didn't start when you said, yep, I accept you, please save me. Forgive me of my sins. The story of your relationship with God started centuries before you were even born. The first three words of the Bible talk about our shared past with God. They say, in the beginning. Do you know why that's there? You know, I thought I did, but, but this week the Lord made real to me in a whole new way why the story of creation is in the Bible. Why the Bible says in the beginning. It's not talking about the beginning of the earth. It's not talking about the beginning of life here. It's talking about the beginning of our relationship. God says, hey, in the beginning of us, this is what happened. And then he goes on in Genesis to record the first 2,315 years of our courtship. Then the rest of the Old Testament, he goes on to record the next 1,309 years of our relationship. And then we get to the Gospels where God basically says, oh, and, and this is how I made it possible for us to be together forever. And then we get to the book of Acts where he says, oh, and, and look what I did here. I made sure that my church was strong enough to carry the message far enough so that 2,000 some odd years later, you would be able to hear about me and we'd be able to meet. The Bible is God reflecting on our shared past. Isn't, isn't reading the historical books of the Bible so much more exciting when you view it in that light? When you realize that it was God sending a flood so that sin wouldn't completely overtake humanity. That it was God sending Joseph into slavery so that he could someday save his family and the tribe of Israel, God's people during the famine, that it was God that allowed a, a Hebrew baby to be raised in Pharaoh's home so that someday his people could be delivered from bondage and become a great nation and have a bloodline that leads to a town called Bethlehem where a baby is born and that baby lives a short life and then dies on a cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine so that we can all have an intimate, personal relationship with him. That's what Bible history is. It's, it's God's love letter reflecting on our relationship. Oh, yeah, I'll read that letter over and over again. I'll cherish that letter in my heart. But a good love letter doesn't just look at our shared past. See, this kid Brian is excited about this weekend. He gets to go skating with Christina. He's looking forward to the day when he can get his driver's license so that he can see her every day. He's even planning how many kids they're going to have and what their names are going to be. He's doing that because a good love letter also looks forward to a shared future. Can you imagine life without a future to look forward to? Can you imagine a relationship without a future to look forward to? 
You know, I guess you could call this part two from my from my sermon on Thanksgiving. I actually didn't realize until this point in writing my notes how similar the two sermons were. Where I talked about the past and now I'm talking about the future. But regardless, you know, you know when I preached that in, in November, I talked about how I'm excited about my future. But did you know that God is excited about our future? He's almost giddy about it. If you remember nothing else about today's sermon, remember this. God is a lot like me. See, I say that because neither myself or God are the type of person that will just sit around and let life happen. We're always planning for the future. Sean's this way. I've heard stories. I plan so much that Christina, I think, in a way, dreads going on vacation with me. Because I will literally plan out our vacation days to make sure we're getting the most out of them. Well, we're going to wake up at this time, and then we're going to be at the theme park at this time. We're going to come back for lunch at this time, and we'll finish lunch here. Then we're going to wait a little while, then we're going to go swimming from here to here, and then we're going to take a nap. Oh, it's fun. It's fun. Now, I'm not saying that I can't relax. Don't get me wrong, because if you know me, you know I can relax. I just relax in the time period that was previously predetermined and set aside for relaxation. And, man, I'll relax. I'm always looking to the future, and so is God. He's so excited about our shared future that he talks about it time and time again in his love letter to us. One of my favorite scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11, God speaks directly to Israel, but I also take it as a personal promise to me when he says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for peace and not disaster plans to give you a future filled with hope. I'm like, yeah, God, I like that. See, he has plans for us, church. You want to know what those plans are? God says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the Lord's going to come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, that first the dead people who believed in Christ will come back to life. And then together with them, we who are still alive will be taken into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I love this part. It says, in this way, we will always be with the Lord. See, it's God saying when that happens, we're going to always be together. That's how it's going to happen. We're going to always be together. God's so excited about it that he writes in this love letter and tells Paul exactly what to write about how it's going to happen, how we're going to be together forever. And then as if all of the books of prophecy that had already been written weren't enough, God closes out his letter with an entire book about how he's going to make it all happen. I used to look at the book of Revelation as a, a scary thing. I mean, as a kid, man, it'll, it'll scare you, especially if you're not really that saved. I 
I don't look at it as a scary thing anymore. It's God just telling us how we're going to end up being together, how he's going to wipe out our enemies and create a whole new world for us to live in together. And then the last thing that he says, I mean, God speaks to us every day through through ministers or sometimes directly to us, but the last thing that he wrote in his letter to us, the very last thing that God said is, yes, I'm coming soon. Is that exciting, church? What a letter. You see, all good love letters are prepared and delivered with care. They all look back on a shared past together. And they all look forward to a shared history, future. Excuse me. The final thing that all good love letters have in common, and perhaps the most important, is that they express the love of the author. I mean, it wouldn't really be a love letter if it didn't, would it? It'd just be a letter. You see, Brian, in this note that I read you, tells Christina how much he loves her time and time again. He says, I love you so much. That was in all caps. Exclamation point. He loves her so much, he's even dedicating songs to her. Him and 